0: Hey guys, welcome to episode 58 of The True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. So we just wanted to thank you all for the amazing reviews you've left for us on iTunes and other podcast listening platforms. You have no idea how incredibly helpful this is to us. And I also really love talking with so many of you about last week's case, the Hart family. That was a heartbreaking case, but it was really nice that we got to have a real discussion about what happened to those those children. We love when you reach out and talk to us. So again, you can reach out on Twitter or Instagram at Couple, Or you can email us at truecrimecouple at gmail.com. We also appreciate it if you would tell friends about us. That is honestly the best thing you could ever do is spreading the word so we can reach more listeners. At the end of the show, we're going to read the credits of our new amazing Patreons, so listen for your name and know that we can never thank you enough for your donations. If you would like to donate to the show and get extra episodes, please join us on Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash Also, and this is really super exciting, I don't know if you are aware, but today is September 1st, and in my mind, it's already fall. I literally bought about a dozen pumpkin cupcake candles, and John's so mad at me, but...
1: (laughs) There's just boxes upon boxes of just Yankee candle and... No,
0: it's Bath and Body Works. Oh,
1: I'm sorry. Well, anyway, candles. They're so good. Just candles.
0: Well, I hate to tell you, but there was a sale the other day, so I bought more. What? Oh, my gosh. I bought the smell for my classroom, for my car, and I have the candles for home.
1: This is where... (laughs) This the, the, this is where I start to say to myself like, is there a if is there a means to an end because the boxes just keep piling up. There's candles everywhere. I don't I even well, think I can burn these things. Well, most of it's
0: wedding things. stuff. Well, that's we true. We just have boxes everywhere. But
1: I honestly, I don't even think we can burn these candles. You know, fast enough because they just keep coming in.
0: Well, I can because I burn like twenty of them at a time and put them all throughout the apartment.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sensory overload.
0: So, fall means many, many things. I watch as many horror movies as I can, and we try to go to the winery every weekend, and that means the wedding is soon. But most importantly, it means our annual listener scary stories are happening. Oh, yeah. Can you believe that? It's going to be the third one. So, third third annual scary stories. And that's really super exciting, and we would love it if you could submit your scary story to us. They don't have to just be ghost stories. It can be any scary thing that happened to you or even a legend from your hometown, because those are always really fun to hear. Always. Please email us your stories. Send them into truecrimecouple at gmail.com. And if your story gets featured on the show, what we did last time is we sent Amazon gift cards to the listeners. So we definitely do um, reward you for sharing your scary stories with us. And if we don't get to cover it on that show, we could always do, we could do a two-parter if we get enough of them. That would be really fun. Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. That would be great.
0: So are you ready to get into today's episode? Let's do it. We are going to Australia again.
1: Yes. My favorite place.
0: (laughs) In today's case, we're going to follow a grieving husband and father, John Sharp. In 2004, Sharp's pregnant wife asked for a separation from him. She made a decision to leave the house, leaving the couple's 15-month-old daughter, Gracie, in his custody. Anna, his wife, chose to pick up the little girl days after her original departure. The heartbroken man watched as his wife, unborn son, and daughter left him in a taxi. Although he knew that their life as a family was over, he didn't think that this would be the last time he ever saw them.
1: Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey
0: Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Mornington is a picturesque seaside town named for the peninsula on which it sits. It's located about 35 miles and 57 kilometers south of Melbourne, in Victoria. This village-like town is a popular spot for many tourists, who usually make day trips to the area to visit the beautiful beaches or wineries. In late May of 2004, in stark contrast to the beautiful landscape around them, A somber media presence has grown outside of a small coastal home. It is the Sharp family residence. The Sharps had six children, and one of them, 38-year-old John Sharp, was going through a crisis. His wife of 11 years had asked for a separation from him. He told his loved ones that his wife, whom he shares an infant daughter with named Gracie, was leaving him for another man. She then revealed to him that the child she was carrying, a boy who was five months along, was the child of her lover and not his. Wow. That's like, a plot twist. Oh, my
1: God. That would be insane. Yeah. I don't think any guy would be able to handle that.
0: I don't think, yeah, I don't think anyone could ever be prepared to hear that kind of news.
1: Yeah. It's, it's well, it's groundbreaking. It's... it's... I
0: wouldn't say groundbreaking. That sounds like an exciting new venture that one would go on. All right.
1: Well, <laughs> all right.
0: Well, you know what?
1: All right. It's very shocking. Is that better?
0: Shocking. I like shocking. Right, I don't That's a good whatever. one. But yes. <laughs> it was groundbreaking.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. Not the not the proper word, but I whatever. Like it. It's fine. Can we try to make that work?
0: <laughs> try to make groundbreaking work? <laughs> yeah. No. Groundber- Fetch is never going to happen, John. All right. Fine. So, of course, John was devastated because of this groundbreaking news. And he told... His wife Anna, that if she wanted to go, she could, but he was going to keep Gracie for the time being. But folks, that wasn't really the crisis. We know, as tragic as it is, a broken family does not cause the media to gather around a residential home. A few days after she left, John Sharp is going to tell law enforcement that Anna came to pick Gracie up to be with her new family. He said Anna said something about shared custody. But they didn't make any solid plans about when he was to pick up Gracie again. However, now he, his family, nor Anna's family could get in touch with the 42-year-old pregnant woman. And this also means they don't know where 15-month-old Gracie is.
1: That's pretty difficult to handle because you, first of all, they haven't even like figured out exactly how they're going to handle custody, right? Right. Or and the then, divorce, right, or, or divorce, or anything. She's just kind of like getting up and leaving. So, like as as the other party, like what do you do? Like how do you handle any any of right, this? Right, and
0: now she's missing, and nobody's she's missing. heard from her.
1: Right, like what do you do?
0: Well, John Sharp steps out of his parents' house and makes the first of many statements he will make to the media. This quite ordinary man with few friends, an average paying job, and parents that own a candy shop has just been thrust into a horror story. He appeals to Anna. He tells her that he can accept the fact that they are no longer together, but he wants her to know that he will always love her. They share Gracie together, a person he knows that they love more than anything in this world. He begs for the safe return of both her, the unborn child, and their daughter. John Sharp met Anna Kemp in the early 1990s when the two worked as bankers together. Anna was 31 and Sharp was 27. Anna, originally from New Zealand, had moved to the Victoria area for a banking job opportunity. The couple, despite the protests from Anna's family, got engaged rather quickly. Her family believed Anna felt the pressure to get married quickly because she had just turned 31. After the couple had a small wedding ceremony on October thirtieth, 1994, they went on a honeymoon. After this honeymoon, Anna expressed some concerns to her mother. She stated that she didn't feel a passion between herself and her new husband. And after all, isn't that kind of where you're supposed to feel a lot of passion, like on your honeymoon?
1: Yeah. Well, it also kind of plays into what we just said was that, you know, she kind of felt the pressure to get married. So I guess maybe, you know, you feel like, you know, the clock is ticking. You're 31. So she just picked someone she was dating. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And then now she's realizing kind of after the whole excitement of the wedding that it might not be there with her.
1: Right. And you know what? I'm sure that's like for a lot with of people. Him, sorry, yeah. Yeah, her. right.
0: With him. Sorry. I said her. It's funny because both of my parents had been married before they got married to each other. And they said that they knew walking down the aisle that they shouldn't be getting married to their like first spouses.
1: Yeah, it happens to a lot of people.
0: Sometimes it's just the time in your life and you feel like you have to do something because the pressure's there. And that's what it seems like Anna did with John Sharp. Absolutely. Anna and her mother, both devout Catholics, made the decision that Anna should really try and make things work with John Sharp, despite the fact that Anna didn't feel this great love with him. Seven years after the honeymoon, Anna gets pregnant with Gracie. Sharp tells Anna that he's disappointed because he never wanted to have any children. And she knew that. Anna encouraged him to rethink his stance on not being a father, and over time Sharp relaxed the idea of having a child. And when Gracie Louise Sharp was born in August of 2002, the child's early childhood proved difficult. She was born with hip dysplasia, and this just stops or delays the growth of a child's hips And it's easy to correct once diagnosed, um, especially as an infant, as the bones are developing. Um, She just had to wear a corrective harness for the first three months of her life. And she would have to go to physical therapy as the years went on.
1: That could be difficult. Wow.
0: Yeah. So law enforcement grew concerned after receiving phone calls from Anna's friends in Australia and her family in New Zealand. This is not your typical case of a wife who decided to leave her husband. Anna's five months pregnant. And she should be seeing a doctor. And now she has her infant daughter with her. At first, the Australian police wanted to give Anna more time to resurface, figuring that she is setting up her new life with her new boyfriend. And this is an interesting side of a missing person's case because when you have an adult go missing, there's only a certain amount of things that law enforcement can do because as an adult, you do have the right to... Disappear. If you want to leave, you can leave. The only thing that's different in this case is the fact that Anna has Gracie with her.
1: Right. I mean, th- she has this guy's children and un- and an unborn child as well. Right. So I mean, that's kind of weird.
0: Well, also, Anna's family is going to be really relentless about trying to get law enforcement involved. Um, they know that their daughter would never have an affair. And leave to start a new family without letting them know. Like they think this is all totally out of character for Anna. So something must be going on in her life or there's pressures from somebody else or something really strange is happening. Anna speaks to her mother on the phone every day and she hasn't called. So they know something's wrong. They know this isn't just someone trying to start their life. So the Australian police aren't really helping them. So they're going to reach out to the New Zealand police. And the family's appeals finally get the attention of Constable John Woodhouse of Dundee, New Zealand. He tells them that he will look into the last known actions and communications of Anna. And he will give all of the information that he collects to the Aussie police. OK, let's take a break to hear from our first sponsor. All right, let's get back to the show. So the first thing that Constable Woodhouse does is that he reaches out to Anna's friends. His goal is to find out who this new man is and where Anna can be. Woodhouse quickly learned that Anna's friends have a lot to say. Anna found out that she was pregnant in November of 2003 for the second time. Anna was excited about the pregnancy and it had always been her dream to have two children. However, the rest of Anna's friends and family knew that this was not the goal of her husband, John Sharp. They revealed that the normally gentle man was very upset and often fought with his wife. He felt that they didn't have enough money to support two children. This is really complicated because if you know that your husband doesn't want to have additional children, but you do, that can cause a lot of strain on your marriage, especially if you go ahead and do get pregnant a second time.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, I mean, I feel like that's something that you would talk about, you know, before, you know, maybe getting married or maybe just after marriage, you kind of say, hey, uh, this is how I feel. I don't want any kids or, you know, you kind of just feel each other out. I feel like it's something talked about way before. So it's oh, kind of yeah. weird, you know,
0: that's a deal breaker. I feel like those conversations should definitely be had before marriage. But it seemed like they kind of jumped into this marriage pretty quick before discussing what their intentions for the rest of their lives were.
1: Absolutely. It's weird.
0: The last time Anna is heard from is at 2 p.m. on March 23rd, 2004, when she calls her insurance company to add the new baby boy to her health coverage policy. Anna had made plans to meet up with one of her friends on Friday, March 26th. Anna's friend tells Woodhouse that the day before she was supposed to meet Anna, so on Thursday, she got a phone call from Anna's husband, John Sharp, Sharp tells her that Anna had left him. She admitted to him that she was having an affair and that she left the house to be with the new man. She left Gracie with him, but told her that Anna said she would be back to collect Gracie that Monday. On that Friday, March 26th, John Sharp brought Gracie to the daycare center she was enrolled at. When he came to pick her up at 3 p.m., he informed the women at the center that Gracie would not be returning. To that daycare center afterwards he was seen with his daughter shopping at a local aquatic store that was also the day Anna's family tells Woodhouse that he called them he told Anna's mother that her daughter had left him for another man and they were planning on raising Gracie Anna had also told him that the baby boy she was carrying was not his child but the man that she was having the affair with Anna's family was shocked they didn't believe that that could happen or that their daughter had the capability of doing that. Um, In fact, Anna's mother recalls telling Sharp that can't be true. We don't do that. And again, Sharp told Anna's mother just as he had told her friend that Anna would be there to pick up Gracie on Monday. It's interesting because Anna is obviously fighting with John because of the second child. but She also must feel isolated because her family is in New Zealand and she kind of doesn't have it seems like she has a really close connection with her family and them not living close to her could be really difficult for her to deal with
1: yeah i can i can i could understand that but also what's weird is the mother said to john you know we don't do that and i want to look into that some more like just because a family teaches values doesn't necessarily mean that those kind of translate to the next generation of of children you know, so when they say, oh, well, we don't do that. Well, you might not do that. And maybe you didn't do that. But maybe, you're, maybe your daughter did do it.
0: Right. And it's not, I mean, having an affair and having a, ch- a child with another person is, it's a pretty devastating thing to do. But I don't think that, I don't know, I don't want to say that that would make her like a monster if her marriage isn't working and it. And she was kind of felt forced to stay in it because of her religion.
1: Right. I'm just, I'm just saying it's not.
0: Right. I'm agreeing with yeah, you. I'm yeah. saying like, just. Like saying, like we don't do that, it maybe your daughter needed that, I don't know it's it's so weird,
1: or it was an accident, you know, you don't you know, maybe it wasn't planned, or right, we, we don't know what happened with the other gentleman, so,
0: yeah, it wasn't interesting. I like kind of read that twice when she said that too, but I think that her mother is saying, like, no, we know Anna, and we know that she wouldn't do that,
1: but that's what every parent says that's Parents very you know, true. say about their their children, so
0: yes. So this was pretty shocking information that Woodhouse needed to look into. Was the baby that Anna was carrying not really her husband's? That would mean this affair had been happening for at least five months. He speaks to Anna's doctor about the woman's state of mind during her visits, as he knows that's really all they could talk about. One of the nurses did recall Anna. She told Woodhouse that she remembers that the woman was very distressed about telling her husband about this pregnancy. Monday comes, and Anna's family gets a phone call. Not from their daughter, but from their son-in-law, John Sharp. I do think it's weird that John's the only one calling, because, like, if Anna calls every day, why isn't she calling her mother? It's
1: also weird that John's making all these phone calls to the girlfriend. Yeah. uh, You know, the friend of... uh...
0: Like, if I had plans with somebody, and... You saw it on the calendar. You wouldn't go out of your way to call them and be like, "Oh yeah, by the way, like she won't be able to make it on Friday."
1: No, no, I wouldn't. I mean, honestly, kind of strange. Yeah, you're not. You know, you're not her secretary. It's weird. It doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, you should kind of. I mean, if if this happened to me, I'd be like, "Listen, you deal with it. I'm not gonna be making things easier for you by calling and telling people." Also,
1: if I was a family friend or in the remote family, I would think it's bizarre and it would put up red flags that John is, you know calling all these people, and now she's missing with an unborn child and their infant, Gracie. Right. It's kind of weird to me. So that right there is just weird.
0: I like watching it like unfold. Like As I'm telling you the story, like your mind's turning. That's why I like not telling you.
1: Yeah, I know nothing about this, but I'm <laughs> loving it right now.
0: So he tells them that Anna came and picked up Gracie and left the house in a taxi. Anna's family immediately called Constable Woodhouse. He contacted every taxi agency within 50 miles of the Sharp house. And the Mornington Peninsula is, I mean, I don't want to say it's a small area, but if you call every taxi company within a 50 mile radius, you're hitting every taxi company that would be able to take her to and from the house that they lived in. And none of them have records of taking anyone to the Sharp residence. Woodhouse attempts several times to call John Sharp, but he's not answering his phone. It has become clear to Woodhouse that this is a missing persons case, not just a fractured family. He sends all the evidence he has collected to the Victoria Police's missing persons unit. He and Anna's family wished for the best. So what are you feeling now?
1: I'm thinking that I I think that the constable has his suspicions about John. And I think that he's hoping that all the information collected now, the Aussie police will probably investigate John right now.
0: I don't see how they couldn't. This is pretty interesting information. So the police in Victoria look over the information collected by the concerned constable, and they decide it's time to talk to John Sharp about his wife and missing child. After all, this situation is bizarre. Anna is what police would call a low-risk person. When the police speak to Sharp, he tells them the same story he has told countless times to Anna's friends and family. He seemed very cold when discussing Anna herself, but got very emotional and distressed about the fact that he didn't know where Gracie was. Investigators did think that there was something odd about John Sharp, but most people did say John Sharp was an odd man. He wasn't really socially in tune, and most people remarked that he didn't have many friends, but they had nothing to hold him on, so they let him go. But based on their interview and the information they had, they did want to keep an eye on him. So now that this has become a missing persons case, the media has caught on rather quickly. They wait outside Sharp's home to collect a statement or to take his picture. Because of the pressure and the constant bombardment, Sharp chooses to stay most nights at his parents' house, which is also located on the Mornington Peninsula. It was during his time between the two houses that he made various statements to the media, like the statement we mentioned at the top of the show. During these impromptu meetings, he was always really emotional. At times, though, he was nervous and jittery, with his eyes moving nervously from one reporter to the next. There were times that he would stop the interview, get up, and walk away, returning visibly upset. He would randomly change the subject to himself, proclaiming that he's not involved in the disappearance and that he would never do anything to hurt his girls. Police in Victoria found this footage interesting for two reasons. First, his body language was completely off and often portrayed the opposite of what he was saying. And secondly, when he spoke with police during his interview with them, he was very unemotional about the disappearance of his wife. However, now that he was making pleas for her safe return, he had tears in his eyes. Though there was nothing they could do regarding this, they chose to continue tailing Sharp because of his suspicious behavior. And it all paid off. One early morning, In mid-June, Sharp was seen walking into the bushes near a public restroom within the Mornington Park. Police observed him pulling a blue plastic bag out of the bushes and taking what looked like a credit card out of the bag. He then placed the blue bag back into the bushes, where he got it from.
1: See, that's why you try to do something shady, you always get caught.
0: Okay, let's take a break to hear from our second sponsor. Once Sharp had left, the police retrieved the bag that he hid. Inside the bag, they found Anna's mobile phone and Visa card. In a later search, her license was found further beyond the bushes. And it seemed like Anna's family and that New Zealand constable were definitely onto something. If Anna had run off with another man, wouldn't she have taken these items with her?
1: oh, yeah, I mean, how can you, you need you need your license, you need your phone, and you need a way of buying things. So obviously, I don't think she left.
0: Now, if you think at this point, John Sharp couldn't have made himself appear more guilty, you are sadly mistaken. After he got the card out of the plastic bag, he used it to purchase flowers for Anna's mother with a note that said, happy birthday, love, Anna. He then sent several emails to friends and family members of Anna that said, I'm okay and you should stop looking for me. I'm happy now.
1: This is a prime example of you did it and these are all the reasons why you're guilty. I mean, between the bag, the phone, everything that was in the bag. Oh, that's like the flowers, the emails. I mean, how I mean, what else do you need to do here?
0: You just want to like scream to these people like this is how people always get caught. And you guys keep doing the same thing over and over again. But please like keep doing it because we do want to catch murderers. Yes. But also like watch Investigation Discovery, you idiots. (laughs) (laughs) So after police can trace the emails back to John's IP address, they decide to ask him to come into the station for further questioning. They ask him one more time to go over everything that has happened since he last saw his wife. It seems like he's going to stick with the same story he's been giving everybody else. But this time, they say that John seems off, jittery, and like he wanted to tell them something else. At one point, the lead investigator even says, John, if you want to write it down, you can. You don't have to say it. But Sharp refuses. But finally, after hours of questioning, Sharp decides to tell the truth about what happened to his family. He tells the investigators that he did not want the girls to suffer, so he killed them peacefully while they were sleeping. They urged him to tell them more, and he did. But the story John Sharp was about to tell was anything but peaceful. It was June 22, 2004, when Sharp chose to tell the truth about what he did. And no one in that room was expecting to hear the story that he had to tell. Anna had told him in November that she was pregnant with their second child. And this, he said, greatly upset him. He didn't even want one child, let alone two. He was angry with Anna as he felt that maybe she had gotten pregnant a second time on purpose and behind his back. He said that in January, he began thinking about a plan to kill his pregnant wife. And in the same month, he bought a spear gun and spearheads with cash. For months, he practiced shooting the gun in the backyard of the couple's house. Anna did say to several friends that she thought this was weird because he's never done spearfishing before. I'm just going to make a side note here. If your husband is angry at you and is accusing you of getting pregnant on purpose, and then he buys a spear gun and practices shooting it in the backyard, And never go spear gun fishing, you might want to move, like, out of that house.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, it is very weird. I have to say, though... But he was a
0: weird dude, so, like, people said...
1: But, But it is actually kind of... It's kind of funny because he did something that not a lot of people do. He didn't go for a gun or something that would completely kind of implicate him. The spear gun is kind of different because it can be used for other sports and other things. Yeah, I so, see what you're uh, saying,
0: yeah. but also... It's not
1: typical. It's what I'm trying to say is it's not typical to, to use a spear gun to try to kill somebody. Um, No.
0: No, it is not. And the night of March 23rd, 2004, Anna and John went to bed between 9 and 10 p.m. At some point in the night, John Sharp wakes up and goes downstairs. When he returns to his bedroom, he has a spear gun. He walks up to his wife's side of the bed and shoots the spear gun at point-blank range into her temple. But the shot does not kill her. Anna is struggling, twitching, and gasping to breathe. Sharp loads the spear gun again and fires it again at point-blank range into his pregnant wife's skull. The shot kills her sharp covers her body with towels and goes out to the backyard to dig a shallow grave after he's done with that he sleeps for the rest of the night on the couch after he's covered his wife's body with towels the following morning he went to the bedroom and attempted to remove the spears that were embedded in her skull but he could not instead he just unscrewed the shafts and left the spears in her head sharp then buried his wife In the shallow grave that he dug the night before.
1: I mean, there's so many messed up things here. The first thing is, well, obviously he killed her, but...
0: In like the most brutal way of all time. And she lived after the first shot.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's insane. But then the fact that you dig a hole, you're like, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to dig a hole in the backyard and put her in it. It
0: is an isolated house. Just a side note. Still.
1: Still kind of weird. And then it just shows how messed up he is that he would sleep afterwards.
0: It it yes, I think that's a good point to bring up. I think that shows his callousness and the fact that he well, he had been planning it for three months and
1: And that just shows how angry and how brooding he was. I mean like it was like
0: And that he didn't care.
1: No, he didn't give a he didn't give a, a crap at all.
0: No. For the rest of the day he cleans the house to get rid of any evidence. The next day, on Thursday, is when he called Anna's friend to let her know that Anna had left him and would not be able to meet her for lunch. The next day is when he brought Gracie to daycare, told the workers that she wouldn't be returning. That's also the day that he called Anna's parents and told them the situation as well. Afterwards, he took 15-month-old Gracie to the aquatic store to buy two more spearheads, as he couldn't retrieve the other two from Anna's head. Does that make sense why I said They went to the aquatic store before. You were like, what? What what? does that even matter? (laughs) Again, he paid in cash. Okay, so the next part of this podcast is going to involve violence against children and an extremely violent crime. So if this is something that bothers you, we suggest that you fast forward about three minutes on so you don't hear what happens because this is one of the worst... Crimes Against a Child that We Covered. The next night, Sharp puts his daughter to sleep in her crib. He drank several Jack and Cokes and loaded the spear gun once again. He stood over the crib and just like he had done to his wife, he aimed the spear gun at point-blank range against her head and fired. But also like her mother, the first shot did not kill her. He loaded the spear gun again and fired into her head. But still, Gracie was alive. John Sharp made the decision to pull the first spear out of his daughter's head. He reloaded that bloody spear into the gun and fired it again into her skull. Gracie Louise Sharp died on March 27th, 2004. And that means, you guys, that he brought her with him when he was shopping for the murder weapon he would use to kill her.
1: I mean, it's insane. I mean I've I mean we've done this so many times where we've had you know a child be murdered in 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 different manners but this is I think one of the worst if not the worst I mean because it's not just that he fired the you know two spears into her head and the first one didn't kill her but then to go and pull one out and to load it back in the in the spear gun and shoot it again yeah I mean, that just shows that he just doesn't give a shit at all. He just doesn't He's care heartless. He's heartless. he doesn't care that that's his child. he you know he didn't want any he doesn't care and it just shows his mental state.
0: yeah it, it makes your stomach hurt just thinking about what he did. He's a monster, this guy yeah. and I think that he has shown premeditation and he could he this he didn't have to do this.
1: No, no, he didn't.
0: And at this point, I mean, he's really ended the life of three people. Because in killing Anna, he killed her unborn son. And now he's killed his 15-month-old baby girl.
1: Yeah, he doesn't care.
0: After he killed his daughter, he wrapped her body in a tarp and placed it inside a garbage bag. He took her to the Mornington Refuse Transfer Station and buried her deep within the trash piles. A few days later, he said he did the same thing with Anna. He bought more tarp, industrial garbage bags, and a chainsaw. He dug up the body of his pregnant wife and used the chainsaw to cut her into three pieces. This guy is crazy.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't even think crazy cuts it.
0: No. He wrapped each part of her in a tarp and placed them individually as well as the chainsaw, into garbage bags. He brought them to the waste transfer station as well and buried them amongst the trash piles. He also included in the bags clothing, towels, and toys of Gracie's that had blood on them. Investigators were silent as they listened to John Sharp so matter-of-factly explain to them the most horrific crime that they would ever hear in all of their careers. When he finished, they had nothing to say to him. They placed him under arrest and brought him into a holding cell so he could be processed. Constable Woodhouse, along with the Victoria Police, informed Anna's family of the horrific news of the passing of Anna, her unborn child, and Gracie. The investigators promised the Kemp family that they would not rest until they found the bodies of their loved ones. Okay, let's take a break, because we definitely need one, to hear from our final sponsor, All right, let's get back to the show. News about the disturbing crime travels quickly through Victoria and then the entire country. John Sharp gets nicknames like the Spear Gun Killer and the Mornington Monster. However, media coverage centers around the search for the bodies. The Waste Disposal Center is a daunting task to tackle. Because the police heard about the dumping of the bodies weeks after it happened, the Mornington Disposal Center had already been emptied and brought to the nearest landfill. This means the police would have to search the Turon Landfill. And it's very unfortunate that this is the landfill that the Mornington dump is taken to because this is one of the few domestic and commercial landfills that accepts asbestos. So that means the police have to search through asbestos.
1: Which is not good for you at all. No, thanks, John. (laughs) Just letting everybody know in case you don't know.
0: Just so you know, John's letting you know asbestos is bad in case you haven't heard. (laughs) (laughs) Police officers volunteer to help with the search. And when the overtime runs out, the officers volunteer to search the chemical-filled dump during their time off.
1: I mean, that's really nice of the police officers. I mean... If you think about it, I mean, they probably spent hours upon hours, days even, yeah. just to try to find anything, you know, any even a body part. I mean, at this yeah, point. Yeah, because it's a landfill, yeah. so
0: it's massive. While officers searched the hundreds of tons of garbage for three weeks in June of 2004, it rained the entire time.
1: Of course it did. Yeah,
0: It was finally in early July that a tarp was found. It held some of the remains of Anna Kemp. In the weeks that follow they find the rest of her remains and this helped them nail down an area in which the mornington trash was dumped by the trucks and this made it easier for them to find the remains of Gracie. when the bodies were located it was woodhouse that got to bring the news to anna's family as he was now the liaison officer for the case her family did make a statement that they were happy her Gracie's and the unborn child's remains could be put to rest. They also thanked the officers of Victoria for their endless work and compassion. The family flew to Mornington where the funeral service was held. The remains of the three um, were set to rest in New Zealand where the family lives. And after her death, Anna Kemp's family changed the name on Gracie's birth certificate and death certificate to say Father Unknown. Because they wanted to disassociate themselves as much as possible. And they wanted to make a statement that a father could never do that.
1: That's bold of the family. But I mean, I I don't disagree with that.
0: After a short trial in which Sharp pled guilty and the judge called him egregiously wicked, he was sentenced to two life sentences without the possibility of parole for 33 years. Unfortunately, he could not be charged for the murder of the unborn baby. Now, this was part of the trial that was highly controversial. When it comes to Australian law, and this is the case in most countries, legally, homicide cannot be committed on an unborn child until they are fully born in a living state. Now, this legal term has been interpreted many different ways. But in this case, the argument was made that because the baby was still dependent on his mother and was not born in a living state, no direct harm was done onto him. Yes, I know you're all screaming into your phones right now. I Hopefully you're alone, so nobody thinks that you're crazy. We have to hide our crazy guys. But I, I do agree, and I think that this is absolutely ludicrous because in killing his wife, Anna, John Sharp did know that he was causing the death of the baby.
1: Right, I mean, that's just common sense. I mean... You kill the mom, you kill the baby inside. It's not rocket science.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's my opinion. I know some people have different opinions. But I feel like a five-month-old baby is, was, I feel like this baby was murdered by John Sharp, too, because that was his intention. That was actually his intention for the entire murder, because he was mad at Anna for becoming pregnant.
1: I mean, yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. And you got to try to look at it this way. The baby would have been born if she wasn't, you know, if she wasn't murdered.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, like the legal terms is saying that on his own, the baby wouldn't have been able to survive.
1: Yeah. No, I understand. And he wasn't born. So
0: it's after birth that you can legally kill a baby. Oh, I hate that. I just said that sentence. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty rough.
1: Makes your stomach turn. Uh,
0: Yeah. Now, this story isn't over. After sentencing, members of John Sharp's family are going to come forward and they're going to put forth a new theory. And it sure is an interesting one. And it just further complicates everything we already know about the facts. Letters from Sharp's family to law enforcement reveal that he had sexually abused members of his family in the past. They speculate that maybe Anna found out that Sharp had been abusing their daughter, Gracie. And that's what prompted the murders.
1: I mean, that's... That's
0: that's an even bigger plot twist.
1: I mean, if that is true, I mean, that would explain in the ferocity that he killed his family.
0: Right. But then I don't think that explains the death of Gracie. I think if that were his intentions, he would have kept Gracie alive.
1: That's true. I mean, I think it's more of just he never wanted children. She went behind his back. I, you know, I'm saying, you know, i
0: saying... I don't think she went behind his back. You know I mean, what I mean. He, he was a willing participant in...
1: No, no, no. But I'm. I mean, what I mean is, he must yeah, have felt I know what you meant. as as if she was betraying him she by had getting pregnant. Him. Yeah, I mean, that's not the way it looks, but that's what he must have interpreted.
0: Well, in statements from the family and the victim herself, it is revealed that Sharp, for years, sexually abused a younger family member, and also compelled another child to molest her as well. The victim, only five years before the murders, finally told the family about the abuse she suffered at the hands of john sharp the statement that the victim makes about sharp is extremely troubling she said that she became his prey for two years and that during that time he always kept his power over her she said that his smell still haunts her and that she fears the day he will be released she fears for herself and for her children so what do you think do you think it's true I think he did it. Sorry, I cut you off.
1: Well, I think I, I think I also think that he did it. I mean, if his family members are coming, because this is another thing. You normally, when you do something bad, and your family will come out and kind of stick up for you, but this is not what happened. I mean, his family came out and said, "No, this this is what he was accused of. This is what he did to a younger family member." I, I would have to say that he probably did do it. I mean, this dude's insane.
0: Also, her accounts are. Um, they're devastating to read and there's no way that someone can make up
1: Or right, you can't make up these what, details. Yeah,
0: no you can't. And I I don't know if that's what happened with Anna and Gracie because like I said before, I I think if that were his intentions truly, that he wouldn't have killed Gracie um unless he was so unless he was struggling with the fact and that's why he didn't want to have kids because he was nervous that he was going to have those urges to do that and he's so upset with himself that he kills them
1: um yeah that's I I, well, I agree with that because it's like it's it's almost being torn in two separate directions because I feel like he's struggling with two people within himself I guess I what, what I'm trying yeah. to say is you have the one side of him that's that's done bad things before and then you have this one right. guy that's trying I guess to be
0: somewhat normal
1: I'm saying before the kids came into the picture. Now here
0: you have kids and this is the... Yeah. It's bringing it back to you. Right. I mean, whether or not that was the catalyst to the murders, I think what this reveals is that John Sharp was a monster in weight. Oh, yeah. And what he did is one of the most brutal crimes that I've ever heard of in anything that I've seen, read, or researched. And he's a true monster. Yeah. And it's scary that these people that you meet in your everyday life, you just have no clue what they're capable of when pushed. And it's just scary to see.
1: Well, definitely. It's it's crazy. And I, I really feel bad. I mean, for all the people that were murdered. I mean, this is like,
0: yes. you know, all
1: these lives just cut short for no reason. And for
0: the Kemp family. It's just so sad. Yeah. All right, guys. We would love to hear what you think about the Mornington Monster case. And what we're going to do now is we are going to read our Patreons and we're going to thank them. Guys, we love you so much and we really couldn't do this without you. And we appreciate the fact that you're donating to us. We know that it means a lot, whether it's a dollar or $15. You're amazing and we love you. So we just want to give our shout outs to... First, Sean Bellenbaum. He's the man of the hour with his $15 donation. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, BLT Huey Girl, Kate Ogilvy, Tracy Jones, Amanda Massey, Brandon S., Brianna, Holly, Wendy Wallace, Kim James, Tracy Brownell, Angie Lee, Catherine McKnight, Lauren, Jamie Andrews, Catherine Ciciliano. Kelsey Morgan, Maureen Jones, Dominic Stevenson, Robin Johnson, Jordan Stefano, Deirdre Baker, Mildy, Susan Broden, Catherine M, Tabitha, Christina Snyder, Kiki, Katie Gignac, Sarah Peak, Monica Coy, Nick Knack. Now this one, I don't really know how to, I'm going to probably do it wrong, but it's like shy with like a million E's. So shy. I don't know. I'm sorry.
1: I mean, that was a good try. I think they'll know.
0: You'll know. We're I like sorry. your name. Sorry, I'm awkward. Jennifer Radke, <laughs> Nina Miller, Angie Rush, Christy Halverson. I know. I knew a Christy Halverson growing up, but you're definitely cooler. Chrissy King, Christy Adcock, Kim Spencer, Fallon, and Jenny Cargill. That was actually really good practice because I'm going to have to read all my rosters the first day of school. And guys, I butcher the kids' names every single year. So this is just a part of me and what I did. So I'm so sorry if I mispronounced your name in any way.
1: And trust me, if I would have done it, it would have been It would have worse. been worse. So I um, you know, sorry, okay.
0: <laughs> so um Patreons, just so you know, we're going to be releasing an episode next week, and that's for our donors at every level from one dollar to fifteen. So that'll be up next week for you guys. Before we go, we also want to reach out to any of our listeners that may possibly be affected by Hurricane Dorian. Our thoughts and prayers go out to you guys. Uh, My family in North Carolina are going to be coming up early to New Jersey to escape the storm. They're coming up for my shower, but coming up a week earlier. Please listen to evacuation notices and be safe.
1: Be safe, guys.
0: All right. Bye, guys.
1: Bye.